starting a new series today, How Family Matters. Because guess what? Family matters. So we're going to look at some of the New Testament families, uh, and we're going to start this morning with Passage Adam, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Ephesus, his wife Elizabeth, who was also a representative of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience of the wisdom of the righteous to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well long in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which has come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making a sign of signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So we're done for all people in our passage this morning. Thank you, God. Alright, so, family matters to God is a simple statement, but it's profound in its truth. Family has always mattered to God. And God desires us to present ourselves in the body of Christ as if we are one body, which means that we are to be united in purpose, even when we disagree about other stuff. We're going to disagree. We're human beings. We're going to disagree about stuff. It's all right. One of the things you've heard from me almost from day one is tension is not a bad thing. Tension is good. It means that we're alive, that we're trying to move forward. It means when you have conflict, and I'm not talking about problems for the sake of problems, but when you have disagreements, that means that people are trying. Churches that die, people stop trying. Tension is not to be avoided, it's to be embraced. So we're not going to agree on everything, but we are to be unified. Once we make decisions, we move forward together. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Now, that's a lot easier said than done. Amen. Come on now. <laughs> I know you're still thinking about that passage where, where Zechariah 
got stuck to be silent and you're going, man, I wish they could they do that to my wife. <laughs> It's a hard thing to, to live out even in our families, our blood families, right? And getting along with all of them. But it doesn't change the challenge to us in the church that we are to live as if we are one. Neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, black nor white, male nor female. You name the divisions that we create. Those things are to be set aside in the name of Jesus Christ as we unite together in the body of Christ. Think about way. What are the? Let me ask you. You may or may not know this. What are the two primary ways that people become part of a family? Born. born. Yeah, born into it. Married into it. Those are the two primary ways that people get into a family, right? So one of our challenges in the church is that you know we don't make the church like that, right? Where you have to be born into it or you marry into it. And that would be really funny, except for how true it can be, and how true it is in churches that have forgotten that tension's a good thing and that are dying a slow death. It became all about us inside the church, and we forgot that it's more than that. If we have that inward focus, we are on our path to death as a church, as a body of believers. When we surround the wagon, we're to be an outward-focused group. We come together in His name to celebrate what He's doing with us and in us and through us and among us as the body of Christ, as the family of God. And we, and we, that's the inside of the church part, and that's good stuff. But if that's all we do, we have lost our way, and we are done. Because it's not just about those of us who are already here. In fact, it's primarily about those of us who aren't. There are millions upon millions upon millions, if not billions, of uh, men and women in the world, in fact, at this point, there are billions, who need Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of thousands that we come in contact, as a congregation this size, that we come in contact in the course of our life that can be impacted for Jesus Christ, if we choose to do it. But that doesn't happen if all we do is focus here. It's both the inward focus and an outward focus. You can talk about that. It's both and. It's not either or. We don't just do ministry in the church or just do ministry outside the church. We do it inside and outside the walls of the church. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. So how do you join the church if, if you can't, if you're not to be born into it or you're not to be just married into it? Well, fortunately, uh, we are adopted, right? God saw all this. God's smart. You ever notice that about God? He, He's smart. He said, man, look at it. They make it hard to join a family. You've got to be born into it or you've got to marry into it. He said, I don't want the church to be like that. We're going to be all about adoption. We're going to be all about heirs to the promise of Abraham. Our lineage, we're grafted into the vine that is God's creation, God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Don't let the enemy steal from you. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. You're awesome in his eyes. And he wants to do special things. All of wants to do special things. Anybody in here adopted? So 
been involved in without you having to raise your hand, I guess. Yes. That's an amazing thing in Jesus that that somebody loves you. They didn't care what you looked like. They, that wasn't the point. They, they love you. And they take you in to their family. And you become a part of that family. That's what the church is. When we're at our best, that's who we are. We accept people no matter where they've been or what they've been through. You know, families that adopt, most of the families that adopt, uh, Gosh, they adopt, and there's international adoptions, there's, there's adoptions that happen in the States. There's a lot of things, that, a lot of ways that adoption happens. Most of them are not as concerned about what their child looks like or any of those kinds of things. They, they want a child that they can love and care for. And what if we, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, saw everybody who doesn't know Jesus as a potential adoptee? What if we love them like that? Accepted them for who they were, met them where they were at. The walls of such a church could not hold people who came. Being a Christian is a challenge. But it boils down to a couple of things. Love is the primary. And we love like him. And we love like him. We've had a lot of grace extended to us as believers. When you accept Christ, all of that stuff that you've done in your past is wiped clean. That's why I love baptism. When I John the Baptist, uh, his family we talked about today, and I love immersion just because of the symbolism of, of the death to the old life and the rising to a new life. A clean slate has to be. A clean slate. One of the things that we need to allow to stay out of the water as we come back up this year and begin a new. Did you know that if there's stuff in your life that's been plaguing you for a long time, that you can let it go? Become something fresh and something new. That's God. That's what He wants for you. We gotta be able to let it go. Gotta be able to let it go. Now I chose Zechariah and Elizabeth because there's some things that we can learn from them as far as it comes to family. And so I probably need to, to say a little bit about who they were. The passage gives us some information. There's not a lot scripturally about them. But the passage gives us them. And some things that about where they come from are important as well. There's been a class consciousness. It's not just now. It's all been in every culture in history. And the Jewish culture back then was no exception. There was an upper class of that social structure that consisted of the descendants of Aaron. Uh, was a, that was the officiating priesthood. About 20,000 of them in and around Jerusalem, they, they took care of the things of the temple. Unfortunately, many of them were very proud and arrogant, self-indulgent, self-seeking. Religious only in matters that would impress other people. If it was an outward show, then they would be involved with it. But if it was an inward thing, then they weren't as, as uh, concerned with it. 
you think about this, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's a good story about what that type of a priest. Someone where someone's beaten in mud at the left on the roadside to die, and he walks on the other side of the street because he doesn't want to become unclean, or whatever his reasoning was. That's that type of priest. But there were others. Zechariah was one of them. And he was an older guy, as was mentioned in the passage. His name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And since the law of Moses required that a priest would marry only a woman of the highest reputation, Zechariah had chosen the daughter of another priest to be his wife. Not only was she a descendant of Aaron, but she also bore the name of Aaron's wife, unwife, Elishabeth, or Elizabeth. That would mean the oath of God. So Zechariah is the Lord remembers. Elizabeth is the oath of God. Their names have, would have, have special significance, I knew, because of the miracle that God was going to do through them. They were devout. That's an important piece of this. Luke 1 6, and they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They were devout and they followed God to the best of their ability. And they did, and they did well. Scripture tells us they were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly. Their lives were pleasing to God. They submitted to the will of God, they obeyed the word of God, and they did it in the sight of God. To exalt the Lord alone, not to gain favor or to look good to the people. Their primary uh, goal was, was, to, was to, to honor Him. That's something to aspire to. And that was different from many of their contemporaries. They didn't even care about the status that went with priests. They, they didn't live in Jericho, which is a city of palms, and, or, in a, in a, or in an elite area. They kind of lived off the beaten path. Their piety wasn't an outward show. It was a heart relationship with the Lord, a heart relationship with God. They cared more about what God thought than what humans thought, what men thought. And that's an important foundation on which to build a strong relationship, a strong marital relationship, a strong relationship with God. The quality of our walk with God determines our ability to walk happily and harmoniously with each other. we got a strong walk with God, it's amazing what that does to our walk with others. And that walk with Him can only grow as we seek to please Him rather than to impress everybody else. Not about everybody else. Honor God. Now that doesn't mean that Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have problems. This barrenness thing is a whole different thing back then than it was than it is to us today. In fact, there would have been priests, despite our scripture passage that tells us that they were blameless, there would have been priests who would have told them that they were barren because of sin in their life. And even if they didn't tell them that, they would have thought it off to the side. Because anybody who's barren is cursed that, that there's something going on in their life that God is not giving them a child. It's hard for us to imagine the stigma that childlessness carried back then, but they faced that. And Zechariah didn't have to, because this was actually grounds for divorce, to not be able to have kids. He could have gone the easy route, he could have said, hey, I, you know, sorry Elizabeth, it didn't work out, can't have kids, I'm going to go find somebody who can. 
And he would have been okay under the law to do that. Could have married a younger woman, had children by that wife, gotten that curse off his back, looked good to everybody else. That's not Zechariah. Instead, Zechariah prays. Prays. He commits the situation to the one person, the one being who could do something about it. He laid it at the feet of God. But he did more than that. He laid it at the feet of God. He committed his problem to God. And then he went about his work. He continued as a priest. He continued as a husband. He didn't stop praying and bail out because the situation was hopeless. And neither should we. Our God is the God of the impossible. God is the God of the impossible. He delights in doing impossible things for us when he knows we're going to give him the glory. And it's usually easier to quit than to face some of the things that we face in life. But God wants us to take our struggles and wants us to take our difficulties too. Seek through the word for encouragement and then wait patiently for him to work. Zechariah and Elizabeth give us a few things to hang on to when it comes to family. And the fact that family matters. The first is stick it out. Stick it out. Zechariah didn't give up, didn't do the expedient thing. Could have called it and moved on so that he could have kids, but he didn't choose that route. Now, God's grace would have still been upon him. God's love would not have been, he would, but God would still love him. And that would still surround him. But there was a blessing in store that he would have missed if he didn't persevere. Stick it out. The other thing is he showed up. Zechariah showed up. He showed up to work. He showed up in his marriage. He didn't disappear from the relationship. He didn't disappear from the relationship he had with God. He didn't disappear from the relationship he had with Elizabeth. He was participating in it. Usually when marriages come apart, you know what it is? It's a lack of connection and communication and engagement. Relationships with God can work that same way. So he showed up, he stuck it out, he showed up, and then he prayed. He prayed. Prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. Zechariah prayed, Elizabeth prayed. In all likelihood, they prayed together. I can't prove that, but I would expect that from these two. And out of that prayer, they experienced a miracle. John Baptist. It's a miracle for us. It's a miracle. Big miracle for them. See, healthy families do all three of those things. No matter what's going on personally, they stick it out, they show up, and they seek God for guidance. And that's the, and the example of Elizabeth and Zechariah hands off to us. Now, I've got to see that lived out recently in the last 25 days with Myra Pitt's family. Now, Myra's family is Florida and I think it's Ohio. Yeah, Tennessee and that. I mean, all over the place. So they divvied up duties and, and, and did what they could. You know, and, and then uh, Robin, the stepdaughter, would spend more time at the hospital. And Daniel would be giving me updates. And, and Beth would be giving the family updates. And Lynn is checking with the doctors. And Lisa's the organizational theme that she is. She's organizing everything behind the scenes. And they prayed. They sought God. 
See, we're going to be celebrating Myron Pitt, the life of Myron Pitt, and it's a celebration, guys. I miss her, but let me tell you something. That girl is, is, is in good shape right now. We'll be doing that tomorrow at 11. And we pray. We pray for healing, right? But here's the thing about healing, and, and this is a sometimes difficult thing to hear, but the truth, but it's still true. There is healing that leads back to life. Sometimes, and those are miracles. There's healing that leads back to life, but there is healing that, that comes through death sometimes too. And I know that that has happened in this family during this time. And I've known Myra for a while. I've known some of the things that they've been through. Healing came. Now, we don't always get what we want. But I wouldn't have wanted Myra to come back if she couldn't be Myra either. You know? Sometimes we heal back to life and sometimes it's healing to death. I got to watch what the therapist process and be a part of it more so than watch. And it's the wonder of what a family can be. It's inspiration. When you're around these kind of things, it, it inspires me to do better, to want to do better. Inspiration. I want to be better. See, on our own, we can do a lot of good stuff. We really can. But together, as the family of God, the living, breathing body of Christ, we can do so much more. I'm using your gifts, my gifts, and our gifts. It overcomes so much more. The last thing I want to take away from Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning is the biggest. Expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. Hope prevails. Hope always prevails. We'll see miracles when we look for them. But too often we get going so fast and so busy that you know, the next thing takes priority over that we're actually seeing what God is doing. And, and, and I, you know, I, for me, I just, I do get going too fast. And I miss the things that God would have me to see. Got to learn how to slow down. Because it matters. The knowledge that came from Zechariah and Elizabeth's miracle actually helped Mary. It stimulated Mary's faith. God had told her she conceived the son without ever having relationships with a man, and, and you know that's a little bit hard to believe, right? You know, if you put yourself in the position of Mary. But here's the angel's message to her: Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Say that with me: Nothing will be impossible with God. Hear that? Take that in. Nothing's impossible. God. Nothing. It may not come how we want it, but it's going to come how we need it, and, and trusting in Him is critical. Now, some folks are going to protest. They're going to say, but you don't understand. My situation is different. My situation is impossible. My husband never going to change. My wife's not going to learn. I'm never going to be out of debt. You know? I'll never be well again. My unsaved one is never going to come to know the Lord. This job's never going to improve again. You know, that never, never. This is going to be bad. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. God's Word. 
Nothing shall be impossible. Believe that. Obey Him. Then keep keeping on. What's the next right thing for you? Do that. Maybe you think God's forgotten you in your hopeless situation. I can tell you that He has not. He has not forgotten you. In fact, He's with you. He does impossible things with impossible people every day. You may be next. You may be next. So don't worry about under the burden. Believe Him. Keep on faithfully living for Him. Patiently waiting for Him to do His work. And you might have just experienced something like Zechariah was. What he did with them was humanly impossible. And yet it's the catalyst to our faith. John the Baptist comes, inspires Mary. Christ comes. John the Baptist comes together with Christ. So the Zechariah and Elizabeth may have aren't mentioned, like I said, again in Scripture, really. But they leave us a legacy and faith in the promises of God. Who happens to be the God of the impossible. I love that about God. We may think it's impossible, but He can do it. He can do it. 